Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. SAG after going on strike. The writers already on strike. First time since 1960 that both groups are on strike at the same time. Are they right? I don't know if right has anything to do with the subject at hand. They want to get more money for what it is they're doing. And there are arguments to be made because they don't make the money on the streaming because when they signed their last deal, this wasn't really a thing. There was nothing to make money on. Now, there's money to make money on. But what leverage do they have? That's the question. And how does that leverage work in a world of technology and AI? Exactly how are, how necessary are they? I've got people who want to argue you can never replace an actor with artificial intelligence. And my answer is, sure, whatever you say. You can tell me that. You can scream that from the rafters. But I have got the people who are in charge very much worried about the technology and about how it puts them out of business. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY is the number. Fran Drescher, the nanny. That's that's Fran Drescher. She's the president of SAG-AFTRA, by the way. We are the victims here. We are being victimized by a very greedy entity. I am shocked by the way the people that we have been in business with are treating us. I cannot believe it, quite frankly, how far apart we are on so many things, how they plead poverty that they're losing money left and right when giving hundreds of millions of dollars to their CEOs. Nice populist message. It's hard to feel for them because the people we see are making tons of money. What you don't see are the tremendous number of actors who are making scale. And the union is very helpful to them, and the strike is necessary, especially on those streaming things. But one of the other things that Fran Drescher discussed was that the technology is coming, and the technology is going to be very damning and damaging for all. That happens to be true in the industry. If you were to take a look at what ChatGPT is capable of and recognize that this is just the beginning, why can't ChatGPT be used to write scripts? Here's the plot. Here's some characters. Write the script. Then uh, you don't need, you know, specifically... Uh, heavy heavy writers, you know, big, big writers. All you need is a couple people. Um, 
is, is to clean some things up. That's all you need. You just need to clean a couple things up. That's the only thing you need the, 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 the writers for. You don't think that's going to come? That's going to come. The studios are going to sign a deal that says they won't use ChatGPT? Why in the world would they do such a thing? Why would they do anything like that? Why would they hamstring themselves? Right now, ChatGPT is under investigation by the Federal Trade Commission. They're examining whether artificial intelligence, uh, specifically what is utilized by ChatGPT, harm people by publishing false information. How about the people suing ChatGPT? Because who said that you could scrape data from, let's say, my book to utilize for other purposes without compensation? So this is a great conversation about copyright. But there is something you cannot copyright, and that's the way you look. You were born the way you were born. You look the way you look, plastic surgery, whatever the case may be. That's it. You look this way. AI can replicate you. And as we've seen from deep fakes, AI can make it look like you're saying anything. So it's only a hop, skip, and a jump from the concepts that AI will be used to generate the actors on the screen acting out the film. I got people screaming at me, how dare you? I, I think that it is it obvious, and not only is it obvious, but I've had conversations to this exact point. If you have CGI generating so much stuff, and now you can utilize the AI for the main stuff, why do you need the actor at all? Why do you need the actor at all? Exactly how necessary do they become? Instead of instead of uh, 20 actors, maybe you just hire two. You know what I mean? Why in the world... Do do you do you need to hire all these people? I mean, Fran Drescher, bless her soul, could be as angry as she wants. And and by the way, Jason, Jason's behind the board today. Finger on the dump button. Uh, there's a bunch of video clips. Uh, she may she she's known to have a ha, have a mouth. So here, listen. You have to wake up and smell the coffee. We are labor and we stand tall and we demand respect and to be honored for our contribution. You share the wealth because you cannot exist without us. Thank you. Um, what if they can? What if they can? I'm not angry with, with Fran Drescher. I am not angry with her at all she's fighting for her union she's she's fighting uh for 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 her people and then there's this let me play this right here not believe it quite frankly 
how far apart we are on so many things. It's disgusting. Shame on them. They stand on the wrong side of history at this very moment. We stand in solidarity, in unprecedented unity. Our union and our sister unions and the unions around the world are standing by us as well as other labor unions. Because at some point, the jig is up. You cannot keep being dwindled and marginalized and disrespected and dishonored. The entire business model has been changed by streaming, digital, AI. This is a moment of history that is a moment of truth. If we don't stand tall right now, we are all going to be in trouble. We are all going to be in jeopardy of being replaced by machines and big business. Who cares more about Wall Street than you and your family? Most of Americans don't have more than $500 in, a, in an emergency. She happens to be right about that. That is a true number. A $1,000 um, emergency would force most Americans to their credit cards. But when she sits there and tells you that you're in jeopardy of being replaced, why is my commentary somehow so far afield? The technology is here and everybody has to deal with it. You know who else does? Me. Any radio host who has not considered that this is all replaceable isn't serious. You're out of your damn mind if you don't think it's replaceable. As a matter of content, I believe I can create content better than any machine. As a matter of where the business goes, how they see financial opportunity, who isn't replaceable? I mean, honestly, who doesn't understand that the world is changing and one must change with it or at least be prepared I have run into people who have been in radio and are now out of radio, very angry about that fact. Almost uh, as if they never anticipated that the world would move on without them. I accept the fact that the day will come that the world will move on without me. I don't think it's today and I'm just hoping it's not tomorrow. But I can't imagine that I will be able to dictate when it comes. Do you know how many people get to write their own ending? Oh, it's a very small number. It's a very small number of people. I do certainly hope that I get my chance. For the Screen Actors Guild, you got to recognize that the end is going to come for you whether you're ready or not. The studios are going to do what they do, maximize a level of profit. 
And they're not wrong. Your argument of you can't do it without us, what happens if they can do it without you? Are you now going to argue that they owe you because they don't? I hope you're all really good at theater. Theater is going to be a hard one to replace with AI. But all of this is very, very possible. And I question whether we are at the start of that taking place and the leverage from unions like SAG-AFTRA going away. I think that's where we're at. I think that ChatGPT under investigation by the Federal Trade Commission, the idea of harm done, well, that's going to be something else. That may be, may be something that keeps it at bay. But there's so much tech coming at us in so many ways. We have yet to begin to think about the ramifications. All we can see right now is the cool factor. There will be ramifications. And we're going to deal with them. We're going to deal with them as they come, as we always do. I'm Tony Katz. forgotten a whole conversation of AI that maybe I never explained what artificial intelligence is. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, if you're going to be talking about artificial intelligence, you need it well explained to you. And to explain it, let's bring in the vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, to explain this right. The way only she can. And I think the first part of this issue that should be articulated is AI is kind of a fancy thing. It's first of all, it's two letters. It means artificial intelligence. But ultimately what it is, is it's about machine learning. And so the machine is taught. And part of the issue here is what information is going into the machine that will then determine, and, and we can predict then, if we think about what, machine, what information is going in, what then will be produced in terms of decisions and opinions um, that may be made through that process. Feel better? Feel smarter? No? Oh, good Lord. You wonder why she can't be president of the United States. I, I honestly don't have anything else for you other than that. <laughs> She's hilarious. People did not catch the rather dangerous point, though, uh, that if she, I think, wants to determine what goes in. That, that seems to be the case. Um, moving on, it is my sincerest hope that Dave Chappelle sues Megan Rapino. I I only hope it happens. I pray that it happens. Megan Rapino is a soccer player, a woman who hates women. 
Megan Rapino hates women, not because I say so, but because she, claiming to be decent, thinks that men can say they're women and play on the U.S. women's national team, take a spot from a woman, and it's no big deal. As a matter of fact, you're a bigot if you don't then recognize that man as a woman as a woman. She says this while she announces her retirement. She says, I don't want to mince words about it. Dave Chappelle making jokes about trans people directly deletes... Let me say this again. Dave Chappelle making jokes about trans people directly leads to violence, whether it's verbal or otherwise, against trans people. What? Dave Chappelle leads to violence, and so does Martina Navratilova and Sage Steele? Sage Steele? By the way, the story is out that Sam Ponder also with ESPN backing up Sage Steele, and so am I. Megan Rapinoe's ridiculous. You can't say anything about trans people because otherwise it's an act of violence. Oh, stop it. Acts of violence are acts of violence. Conversations are conversations. Some conversations are ugly. You don't appreciate what's said. I agree. But let's not say that when Dave Chappelle tells a rather incredible story about someone he knew, as he did in his last special, that that's violence. No, it's not. Jokes get made. Wait till she finds out there are black jokes and Jewish jokes and Irish jokes and Hispanic jokes and Korean jokes. Oh my gosh, there are jokes. She's going to be shocked. Shocked, I tell you. Rapino goes on to say, it's frustrating when women's sports is weaponized. Oh, now we care about fairness? Now we care about women's sports? She says, that's total BS. And show me all the trans people who are nefariously taking advantage of being trans in sports. It's just not happening. Leah Thomas isn't happening? My work here is done. That took but a second. But people like Megan Rapino are not honest. They're woke. And she shouldn't be listened to. And she's not a role model for your daughter. She's not a role model for women. She's not even strong enough to recognize that women are not men. So, you know, how can, how can, one, how can one begin to think that, that, she's, uh, that she's decent on the subject? Now, this is going to lead me into something else that, that came up out of the Wall Street Journal. Really interesting. I'll... I'm going to get to that. I promise you I'm going to get to that. There's also the story of Texas creating a floating border wall. Remember what it is we learned by going down to the border. I was at the border a little over a month ago. Maybe it was two months ago by now. What we learned by going to the border is that walls work. But the walls don't stop people from getting into the country. Because so much of the wall, at least in that El Paso sector, that Rio Grande, not El Paso, the Rio Grande sector down near McAllen is in the United States. They've already crossed the Rio Grande. The walls slow people down. And slowing down means that they can be captured and then returned. So this is what we learned from Border Patrol. Walls work. 
They're necessary. This is Tony Katz today. The letter on social media, you should note that it wasn't written as an article by the Wall Street Journal, but rather a letter to the editor of the Wall Street Journal, just so we understand what it was, because it's very important. There's a there's a difference in the thing. There isn't seemingly a difference in 21 clinicians and researchers From a series of countries, Finland, the United Kingdom, Sweden, Norway, Belgium, France, Switzerland, South Africa, and the United States, signing on to a letter to the editor that states youth gender transition is pushed without evidence. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, always a pleasure, guys. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Psychotherapy, not hormones and surgery, is increasingly the first line of treatment abroad. Other nations are dealing with gender dysphoria, quote-unquote, the transgender community. That's what I give the quote-unquote to, not gender dysphoria, which is actually the terminology. They deal with it much differently than the United States. In the United States, you get pure radicalness. Just like you did regarding children and the vaccine. In the U.S., you had people pushing the vaccine for COVID on kids like it was their job. Other countries were like, whoa, up. I will say to you that if you were a 50-year-old or higher and you got the vaccine for COVID, okay. I I am not moved one way or another, as you guys well know. You did or you didn't. It's totally fine by me. Is it obvious to me, based on the data, based on the science, that the vaccine did lessen the severity of symptoms for millions of Americans? Absolutely. Is it also true that the vaccine caused complications for some Americans? Absolutely. I don't know why you can't have both conversations at the same time. Is it obvious that some people had absolute faith that groups like Pfizer for any of their issues weren't about to put a vaccine into the populace that was then going to kill everybody in the population? Of course, they're not crazy. But is it also true that you had a vaccine that didn't go through certain levels of testing that some people would demand before putting a vaccine into their system? Absolutely. That's why I never had an opinion either way about whether you take it or you don't take it. I only had an opinion that it was wrong for the federal government to force people to take a vaccine. And any CEO anywhere that forced vaccines on their employees was wrong. That employee, that not that employee, that CEO has a place in hell waiting for them. They should never, ever be forgiven. They were wrong. They weren't good. They weren't decent. They weren't kind. They weren't loving. They were crazed. They were ridiculous children. And they were abusive. Which is weird that I would call them children and abusive. Their response was one of fear. Their abuse was one of the totalitarian. But there's no doubt that there are people who took the vaccine who are totally fine and are better off because they got COVID and the symptoms were less. Can't don't deny what we saw. Just discuss all of what we saw. 
My argument continues to be one of not allowing ourselves to be shut down. You shut down churches in America and churches allowed it? Synagogues allowed it? Disgusting. Forever should you be damned for that. That's COVID. Gender dysphoria via social contagion. Oh, everybody's trans this and trans that and gender fluid this and that. That's how you're cool, don't you know? And then if some nine-year-old says, I'm a boy. And you're like, okay, a puberty blockers and surgery for you. Yes, I think that's abuse. You don't buy in to your children's every whim. That's not parenting. Parenting is about loving your children enough to tell them, I hear you. However, I hear you, but we're not going to do that. I hear you. We're going to talk about this. I hear you. We're going to get some help with this and, and, and talk about this with others. And when you're an adult, if you still feel this way, you can make a decision. That's parenting. That's love. That's caring. Giving in to your kids every whim, that's not what parents do. Which brings us now to this letter in the opinion section of the Wall Street Journal. As experienced professionals involved in direct care for the rapidly growing number of gender-diverse youth, the evaluation of medical evidence or both, we were surprised by the endocrine society's claim about the state of evidence for gender-affirming care for youth. And what this letter said is that more than 2,000 studies published since 1975 form a clear picture. Gender-affirming care improves the well-being of transgender and gender-diverse people and reduces the risk of suicide. That was the claim from a letter uh, from the president of the Endocrine Society uh, on July 5th. These doctors say this claim is not supported by the best available evidence. They even go so far to say that the, the, the president of the endocrine society's claim that gender transition reduces suicides is contradicted by every systemic review, including the review published by the endocrine society. And the quote from that review is, we could not draw any conclusions about death by suicide. They continue that there is no reliable evidence to suggest that hormonal transition is an effective suicide prevention measure. As we have argued here, how could it be? The idea that, well, we'll just cut off this and we'll add that and you'll take this pill and you'll take that drug and the next thing you know, you'll be fine. Does it really, really do anything for the issue at play? The search for happiness is not engaged by physicality. It's engaged in the mind. Now, you could be somebody who was born with a very big nose and you get a nose job and the nose is small and you're like, oh, that's awesome. I don't make an argument against that reality. I don't. I don't have an opposition to plastic surgery. I have an opposition to someone who thinks that they are a completely different sex and then you want to mutilate them when they are a child. There's a difference, and it is obvious to the rational mind. This letter is interesting. 
They write, and I'm quoting, the, poli- the politicization of transgender healthcare in the U.S. is unfortunate. The way to combat it is for medical societies to align their recommendations with the best available evidence rather than exaggerating the benefits and minimizing the risks. 21 different clinicians and researchers signed the letter. This goes along with a conversation that we've been having that goes down the following line. The doctors are the problem. Doctors who say, well, we have to do this and we have to do that and decide, well, we have to, we have to say this and say that. Well, this is how we have to treat people and we have to make sure we're using the right pronouns and this. Med schools and doctors are failing patients because they won't hold a standard. And then we're told, who are you to argue? They're the doctor. And... I argue with doctors all the time, and so do you. It's called the second opinion. By definition, by nature, the second opinion is argument. It is disagreement. It is disbelief. It is a lack of trust. By definition, that's what the second opinion is. The doctor says, well, you're going to need surgery, and we're going to do this and do that, and you say, ha, I'm going to go ask another doctor. You know, somebody who isn't a giant crackpot. And then the second doctor says, well, you're going to need surgery. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. And you're like, wow, I guess I need the surgery. Okay, it'll be you. That's what happens all the time. It's rational. What we have done is we've somehow decided that on this subject, oh, a doctor says you can't say anything about it. Oh, but doctor says you don't do this. The kid's going to kill themselves. Could you imagine telling a child, you know, if, if, if they don't do this, your chances of killing yourself go up X percent? Oh my gosh, I'm surprised you haven't killed yourself already. It's weird. It is if uh, there are people who, who uh, want to see the suicides to prove their point. And their point is uh, the, the, um, to see their narrative come to fruition. Oh, look, this person killed themselves. Oh, look, that person killed themselves. See, you can't deny this gender-affirming care. It's abuse. It's not gender-affirming care. It's gross what it is that we're seeing. Every systemic review, they write in this letter, of evidence to date, including one published in the Journal of the Endocrine Society, has found the evidence for mental health benefits of hormonal interventions for minors to be of low or very low certainty. By contrast, they write, the risks are significant and include sterility, lifelong dependence on medication, and the anguish of regret. Let us be clear. The people who claim that you can take puberty blockers and they're totally reversible are liars. And any doctor who says that should lose their medical license. We have been discussing how med schools that are focused on pronouns and not on the health of the patient are not valuable to society. You're a doctor. The patient is in front of you. The patient has a serious medical uh, condition. And you say, ma'am, we're going to have to operate. And the patient says, I'm a man. How dare you? Now, the patient is obviously a woman, but screams, I'm a man. What should the doctor do? The patient is going to die without the surgery, but the patient demands to be called ma'am. Do you sit there and apologize or do you perform the surgery? Which one do you do? Which one? 
Any doctor who is forced into asking that question is already doing damage to the patient. And any med school and any hospital group that thinks the doctor should worry about the pronouns is out of their mind and should be shut down. Doctors should lose their licenses. I didn't say be proactively rude. I didn't say be proactively mean. I don't think you should be either one of those things. I am saying that the doctor should not be in the business of giving a damn about someone's pronoun. They should solely be in the business of saving the life. And if a doctor is considering anything else, that's not a doctor. That's an activist in a white lab coat. If you want your doctors recognizing that we practice medicine on indigenous land stolen, those aren't doctors, those are activists. Now, very often the doctor's just reading the thing on the damn piece of paper so they can go about being a doctor. But the med school's a bunch of activists. Shut it down. Any med school that wants to argue this with me is more than welcome to. I am discussing the focus on the patient, not the focus on the wokeness. Well, Tony, you don't understand the holistic approach. The patient needs surgery, but the doctor's using the wrong pronoun. What should the doctor do? I'll wait. I'll wait until you figure out that my point is the only point and your point is absolute pablum. I'm not a doctor. I didn't even graduate college. I didn't graduate college. My parents didn't have the money. My brother was about, uh, I think, a semester out from graduating. So I went part-time and then stopped going so he could graduate. That's a true story. That's how my family did it. Uh, Look, it was right. It was wrong. It's what happened. Here I am today, and things are pretty good. And I put myself up against any doctor in the state of Indiana, in the United States of America, around the globe on this subject. What's more important? the patient on the table, or the pronoun the patient wants to hear. If you think doctors should note the indigenous lands that were stolen over dealing with the patient in front of them, you're ridiculous. You're out of your head. That's not medicine. Grow up. This is a fascinating letter. Because this letter states that what we hear from those pushing gender-affirming care is nothing more than talking point, is nothing more than a cover to continue and encourage the social contagion of gender dysphoria. Oh, I'm this. Oh, I'm that. No, you're not. No, you're not. And the gender-affirming care is utilized to pressure parents into not doing what is best for their children and has been utilized as a tool in Washington State and California and soon it'll be others to cleave children away from their parents and take away the rights of parents because doctors say this is the proper care and the parents are keeping the care from them. Any doctor who says, if you don't give this kid hormones, the kid's going to kill themselves, and the parents can't be allowed to make a decision, get rid of that doctor's license, throw that doctor in jail. That's a position, kids. I'm not anti-doctor. We need doctors. I want good doctors. I want doctors to be able to get paid. I'm not interested in activists in white lab coats. Playing doctor. Playing with children's lives. 
I want them gone. And I want the med schools that graduate them gone. And I want to have an open, honest debate about what it is that's happening and the abuse that we are perpetrating on these children. And I'm going to make sure I can, to the very best of my ability, share with you the data that's out there. You can make your own call. This is in the Wall Street Journal. Youth gender transition is pushed without evidence. Give it a read for yourself. I'm Tony Katz. So the banks did big. I mean big. You got J.P. Morgan Chase beating analyst estimates. You've got Citigroup posting better than expected earnings. Now, it's it's beat, but revenue did fall 1% from a, a year ago. But earnings per share were $1.33 versus $1.30 uh, projected and $19.44 billion versus $19.29 billion projected. Sorry, that's better. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. The economy and all these issues, we keep discussing it, yet the banks are doing better. Well, I mean, how, how could they not be? The banks get all the opportunities to gobble, the big banks at least, get to gobble up the smaller banks because people like Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, are like, here you go. Here it is. Here. There. There. Yeah. The big ones. We'll protect them. Oh, who knows if we'll protect the little guys. So, you know, go on, big guys. You're welcome. By the way, I won't be Treasury Secretary for long. I'm going to need a job. So, yeah, just uh, just uh, uh, seven figures in a corner office I don't have to show up to. That's all I need. Thank you. By the way, that's all I'm looking for. I don't even need the corner office. Just ju- just pay me. Isn't that the dream? That is definitely the dream. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. This is Tony Katz today.